and ourselves by our community in which we find ourselves. I am a golden Bayite. Well, I'm not. I'm a singleton person now. I'm better than you guys. Except my insurance goes up moving to Singleton for some reason. Uh, or I am a member of Golden Bay Baptist Church. Or I am an Australian with a really bad accent. Or, you know, we, we define ourselves by our community. And, and who we are, what defines us, determines how we act. Because that is what is most important to us. So if, if the thing that is most important to me is that you know that I have a really fantastic job, then I'm going to work hard because I've got to keep that job because as long as I've got that job, you're going to respect me and look up to me. Or if it's all tied up with my family, if my family goes off the rails, uh, what am I going to do because my identity is my family? Or if my, my identity comes from my status in society... I've got to work really hard to, to, to play the social ladder, to, to, to gain the system. I've, I've got to stay up there because, because if I don't, then, then, then I'm not who I am anymore. Because that, that's me. And the story of the prodigal son, he was, I think, he probably a lot of things defined his identity. One of them would have been his status. He had money, he was wealthy, he spent it all, he had lots of friends. And then what happened? He lost it all. And he found himself in the pigsty, feeding the pigs. And he found himself going, well, who am I? Who we are, what identifies us, determines how we act. And we're going to start a series today in Ephesians. And Ephesians is an interesting book. Um, what I didn't realize before is that Ephesians might not even have been written to Ephesus. A lot of the older manuscripts, the, like the, the earlier copies of it, don't have the word in Ephesus there. Um, still, I think it was written to the churches of that region. Uh, they say that there's probably not written to the church actually in Ephesus because Paul spent three or four years there and he doesn't sort of <coughs> mention much about the people that he knew in the letter. But it's certainly written to the churches in that region and would have gone to Ephesus and, and that's why we call it Ephesus. It's the letter to the Ephesians, if not the people in the city of Ephesus. Maybe. I don't know. We'll ask Paul one day who he actually wrote it to. The point is, what Paul's point is, is, is I don't care where you live. Paul's point in Ephesians is not where you live. Paul's point in Ephesians is where you live. You're shaking your head going, you got that wrong then. No. Paul's point in Ephesians is not where you live. Paul's point in Ephesians is where you live. And where you live defines who you are. And that, in the second half of Ephesians, which you're not getting to this year, the second half of Ephesians, who you are defines how you act. You act out of who you are. You don't act to become something, you act out of who you are. So we should probably pray and then we'll do a bit of reading and then you'll hopefully understand what my nonsense line means. Father, please help us to understand uh, what you have to say. This is going to be a tough passage, Lord. An exciting, beautiful passage, but it's got some stuff in there that we might find difficult to understand. So I just ask that you help us to understand it. Help us to remember that in you is brilliantness. 
and every blessing. Help us to understand and remember that at the cross you have done away with our old selves and that it is no longer we that live, but you that live in us, even as we live in you. Help us to live that out, not in terms of trying to live up to a standard, but in terms of just being the people that we actually are. Holy Spirit, speak to me and speak to us. And speak through me too. Amen. Let's read the book of Ephesians. We're just going to read the first 14 verses. That's okay. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, and you'll see the footnote says uh, the most ancient manuscripts do not include in Ephesus, uh, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. That's not the best translation there, uh, the New Living Translation there. It's, it's better to translate it like the ESV translations. Uh, I'm writing to God's saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. Just pause there for a second. Give God a big smile on his face. Isn't that incredible to think? We, we have this idea of God. God's serious all the time. God had great pleasure deciding in advance to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. And so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Uh, another way to put that, translate that, he has graced us with every grace through his beloved one. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding what? Regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At, every, at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ or put our hope in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Amen. There's no amen there. I just put that in, but it needs it, doesn't it? We tend to define ourselves in terms of ourselves. My job. They sound like they're having fun in Sunday school. <laughs> or, or they're killing someone. My job. My status. My family. But, but really, if we define ourselves in terms of something that is ours, 
from us or about us. We are really defining ourselves by something that is less than ourselves. This is my job. Is, does the job sum me up? Does it encompass all that there could be about me? No, it's just my job. And really what Paul wants to say to us is that Christians are not defined by something less than themselves. They are people who are defined by someone greater than themselves, by God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What makes a Christian, and and this kind of sounds like duh, but what makes a Christian is that you are in Christ. You are united with Jesus. And just in case you don't get it in the English, if you read through the Greek, which I don't recommend you do because you won't understand it. But even in English, you pick it up in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, for Christ, with Christ, united with Christ, through Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Eleven times in the Greek, Paul goes, and it's all one sentence, by the way, verses 3 to 14. Paul just goes, blah, 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 in Christ, 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 blah, 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 in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He didn't say but sounds a bit like Greek, I suppose. We don't have Margaret here today to read. Christians, says Paul, right at the top, are those who are set apart by God. That's what saints means. Saints are not holy people. Saints are just people who have been set apart by God. And the New Living Translation tries to to make the English a bit understandable there in verse 1, but as I said, it it, it kind of misses the point a little bit because it's not about being faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It is about being faithful in Christ Jesus. And that, that changes things around a little bit. Christians are those who are faithful in Christ. If I go up in an airplane and I, I, I'm flying somewhere, it is absolutely fair of me to say that I am flying. But I'm only flying because I'm in the plane. Being in the plane defines me as a flyer. Being in Jesus defines me as a saint. Being in Jesus defines me as faithful. Being in Jesus defines me as perfect. Wow. And some of you are looking at me going, uh huh. And I'm looking at you going, uh huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, this is the gospel. This is why Paul gets so excited and why he can't bother to put full stops for his poor amanuensis, the secretary, to write down the stuff. He just goes, because he's like, wow! And we heard this last week as well as we looked at uh, Joshua uh, chapter 8, I believe. Without Jesus, none of us would be saints. None of us would be set apart. None of us, without Jesus, would be faithful ones. We cannot be faithful followers of Jesus if we are not faithful in Jesus, if Jesus isn't faithful to us. Um, We'd be tumbling without Jesus. From birth to death. I've been halfway through a TV show about uh, Felix Baumgart. I think that's his name. We jumped from a balloon 20 or something miles up in the sky. And, and um, the guy previously had done it several years before. He said he jumped up from 19 miles out and he was falling and he thought, wow, 
I'm not going anywhere. But he was traveling at almost the speed of sound. There was just no air resistance up there. For him, it was just, um, nothing's happening. That's, that's our natural state. We, we are falling to our death and we don't know it. That's our natural state, but it's not our intended state. Those who are in Jesus are flying. Not because our arms are out, but because we are in him. We are faithful in Christ. We put our trust in him. And by the way, there is a little bit of faithfulness in there that once you've been pulled into the aeroplane, you jump out again. Be an idiot to do that, wouldn't you? Whether you even can do that is another question for another sermon. But Jesus determines the shape of our existence. What is true of Jesus is true of all those who are in Him. And as I say, thinking about what God the Father has done just, just excites Paul so, so much. He's, he's amazed at what God the Father has done in Christ. What, what God the Father is doing, what He has done, what He ultimately will do. And, and what amazes Him even more is that we are part of that great plan of God because we are in Christ. You know, the only reason we are part of God's plan is, well, because God created us. But why did God create us? Well, because, because God wanted us to fly. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now Paul is speaking to Christians here. He's saying to to Christians, we have been blessed. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing because we are in Christ. Because we are united with Him. And and it's important there to say, it's it's a, a done deal. We have been blessed. With every spiritual blessing because we are united with Jesus. Uh, it's already ours. You know, so often we, we, we think, oh, oh God, please bless me. Bless me, God. Bless me. I, I just need more of you, God, because I don't have enough and I'm so dry at the moment. And, and God, I, I, I need more, God. I need, give me your spirit. Give me, give me, I need more. And God's looking at us going, did you read what Paul wrote? I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We saw that in Joshua, our last series, Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. Nice that it's also a chapter 1 verse 3. God says to Joshua, Joshua, I've given you the whole land. It's yours. Now wouldn't it be wonderful if Joshua then said, thank you so much, Father. Now I just have one more request. Would you give me this land? I really want it. I know you want to give it to me. Would you give me this land? I reckon God might be tempted to just go, Did you hear what I just said? Of course God wouldn't do that. God's nice. But God, I mean, would Joshua have said, Give me the land, when God has just said to him, I've given you the land? No, Joshua had to go, Well, you've given me the land. I'm actually going to go out and I'm going to take it. Everywhere where you put your foot, says God to Joshua, it will be yours. Joshua could have stayed at home and said, please give it to me, God. But God said, no, just step out. It's yours. It's the same with us. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. 
We just need to trust God and accept it. So hands up, who has a, a Porsche? Now, no, I'm serious, who's got a Porsche? I've got one. It's a little toy one. <laughs> who's, got a, who's got a real one? I've got a front Porsche and a back Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's David sing psalms about how his portion is nice. Let's move on. But you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I've just told you, you're supposed to go out and disclaim it. What are you guys doing here without portions? Okay, a Porsche wouldn't be a blessing. Then uh, who here has got, like we need a church building, who's got the million dollars in the bank account? You do? No? Well, we've got a problem here because the Bible clearly teaches that we have been blessed with every blessing in Christ Jesus. So I don't know what we're going to do here now. Beg your pardon? We don't, no, we've, we've just said we don't need to ask God for more because He's already given it to us, but we don't have it. No, why, why would we pray? God said He's already given it to us. And that's it. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Oh, if you don't read that, you miss the point completely. This is about being gifted by God with all that we need for life in abundance. And life in abundance isn't necessarily stuff. Life in abundance isn't necessarily... Uh, always feeling super, script, super scriptural, super spiritual. Life in abundance is knowing that we have all that we need to enjoy God forever. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. These blessings, Paul speaks about three of them in this passage. He speaks about how we have been chosen by God. That's a blessing. How we have been rescued by the Son. That's a blessing. And how the Spirit seals us and guarantees us as God's, as, as God's own possession. And the blessing is ultimately, is, can anyone guess? It's where we live. Not in Australia. It's nice. It's, it's not the best place though. The best place is in Christ. If you've got your Bibles, just flick over to Second uh, Peter. Um, if I can find it. Second Peter chapter uh, one. Go on. Second Peter chapter one, and we're just going to read verses three and four. By his divine power, God has, look at the past tense, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That, that's what it means to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We have received all of this, how? By coming to know him. Peter's agreeing over there with Paul. And the one who is him, it's the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory, God's glory, the Father's glory in his Son, because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises 
These are the promises that do what? They enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You see what, what Paul is saying over there? He's saying that the ultimate blessing is being in God, in Christ, which means, and, and open your, just, can you just hold your eyes open, your ears open, because uh, uh, this, this is too big to get into our heads. We share God's divine nature. And that's what Peter said there, isn't it? We share in His nature. Which makes the question for Christians not so much, what is it that defines you? Who are you? The question for Christians is then, well, what is it that defines God? Because you share God's nature. Because you are in God. And it gets all squiffy. Because God is in us. But Paul's big thing in Ephesians here is that we are in God. What does that mean? It means that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? It means that, well, verse 13, 14, the Spirit is in us. What does that mean? It means that we share in the nature of God. What does that mean? It means that what defines us is what defines God. Because if we share in God's nature, we are defined by His own nature. By Jesus' nature. We are defined by Jesus because we are in Jesus. And, the, and these spiritual blessings, let me just hasten to add, are every spiritual blessing, all that we need for life in abundance, life enjoying God, glorifying God forever, being part of God's, well not being part of God, but, but sharing in God's nature, that, that is ours, but, but it is ours where it is ours in the heavenlies. Not, not in heaven, but in the heavenlies. And the Bible makes clear that this material world that we touch and feel is, is not all that there is. There is a, a, a spiritual dimension that goes beyond this that, that we don't always experience and, and, and uh, by faith we experience and, and, and the thing is it, it has an effect on us. Big things, the spiritual battles that, that have impacts on this world. Um, there is a spiritual component. There is a spiritual plane. And Jesus came from God in the heavens. Became human, walked among us, lived, died, returned to God, rose again. And if, if Christians are in Christ, if Christ, like an aeroplane, swooped down and picked us out of the sky where we were falling and rescued us through His blood, if we are now in Christ, and Christ is now in the heavenlies, where do we live? It's not, not rocket science. It's brain surgery. But We live in Christ. We live here. But who we really are, what really defines us, is found in Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. We live as Christians in a material world and in the spiritual world. Uh, and, and the two we'll see are Oh, well, they're equally real to us. We'll see that in just a little bit. God's big plan, really, is to bring these two realities, which, which in some ways are separate, even though they impact on each other. He's going to bring them together. That, that's the picture of Revelation, where, where the dwelling place of God will be with man, and, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we see the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and, and it's going to be awesome, it's going to be majestic, and, and, and there will be this 
there won't be this barrier between the spiritual realm and this earthly realm. Higher dimensions of physics. I don't understand it, but I don't even think the physicists understand it. This is beyond them all. This is a dimension of reality. How has God blessed us? Let's quickly go through this. God has blessed us before time. Before time, God blessed us. He chose everyone who is in Christ before time to be a part of his great plan. He chose in advance to adopt us by rescuing us by and in his son. I mean, before God made anything, before the universe was, before there was, if you go for the Big Bang, before there was even a speck, before anything, can can I make this any clearer? God sat there and knew what he was going to do. And he knew that he was going to choose those who are in Christ. It gave him great pleasure. I don't know if he, anthropomorphizing here, but face smiles. I don't know how you smile with a face if there's no, messes with my mind. But I think it's fair to say if, we can see God smiling there, going, I'm going to choose them. And I know that humanity is going to come, I'm going to make them, it's going to be very good, and they're going to mess it up. They're going to be flying with me, they're going to be walking with me in the garden, they're going to be living the way I meant them to live, and then they're going to jump out of the plane. On what basis God chose? I don't know. I don't understand it. I know God chose because the Bible said so. I wish it didn't because it it rankles at our human desire to be in charge, doesn't it? And if you think about it, if you choose to jump from an airplane without a parachute, you deserve to splat. That God would choose and go, no, I'm going to save. That he would choose to do that at all is incredible. And let's just go back a bit, because even with respect to God's choosing, do you see what, what Paul writes here? He says, um, verse, oh, that's Philippians, not Ephesians. Paul writes here, um, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Jesus is the chosen one of God. Jesus is the one that God chose. Jesus is the one around whom all of God's plan is structured. We are simply those who have been gifted by God to Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 6 that he will not let go of any of those that the Father has given to him. Hands up if you're a gift. You're a gift to Jesus. Pretty manky gift. But Jesus does a good job of making you perfect. Because you're in him. And one day he will make you like himself. It's true, and Ephesians 2 picks up on this, that we wouldn't be chosen in Christ uh, unless God chose us to be in Christ first. 
Does that make sense? We are chosen, we are elected in Christ because we were elected to be in Christ. I don't get it. But that's what it says. Seeking God doesn't come naturally. Romans 3.23 says, nobody does. God so arranges things that we see our need for him. We, we struggle with the idea of God choosing and not us. Uh, the Bible clearly says God chose us in Christ before we existed. It also says in verse 13 that we need to trust and believe in him. And that God doesn't want any to perish. Uh, how human choice and God's choice work together is a mystery. Our choice is real. But if we come to trust Jesus, if we come to making that choice, we know that Jesus has already chosen us first. Now, you're starting to understand why Paul didn't write a theological treatise here. And he's just going, wow, God's incredible. I'm sure if Paul wanted to, he could have written us a 45,000 page book describing this if God wanted him to. But he didn't. Instead, he's just going, isn't God incredible? We don't understand how this works. We know the Bible says clearly you have to choose God. We also know the Bible says clearly God chooses you. And if you choose God, then God has chosen you. And, and uh, I don't know. The point is, choose God. In having chosen us in Jesus, God predestined that we would be adopted as his sons. We are brought to the Father. We will be made like him. And just, I probably don't have to say this, but we're not chosen because we're good chosen despite ourselves and yet we are chosen to verse 4 be holy and blameless before God's sight and in fact in Jesus Christ we are already that even though we still mess up and sin we, we still live the side of eternity in Christ what defines us is not our sinfulness what defines us is Jesus' holiness, blamelessness, uprightness, perfectness. That is who we really are. And when Satan, there's a lovely song we sing, when Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, upward we look and see him there who made an end to all of our sin. Because the sinless Savior died, our sinful souls are counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon you and me. How are we going? Do we have time to carry on? No? Depend. Oh, I'm not hungry, that's fine. <laughs> Let's fire on really quickly because, you know what, that, that's in the past. What about today? Well, um, God chose us. He planned to adopt us, but in time He has graced us with every grace in His beloved. He rescued us while we were still sinners. He freed us from sin and guilt. He paid the price with His blood. Mark 10.45, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to save many. He gave His life as a ransom for many. In time, not before time, not before there was anything, but actually in time, Jesus died and rose again uh, for all those that the Father has given them. For, for you and I, if you trust Him. And if we are in Christ, that means that we have died with Him and we have risen with Him. That's why Paul's got this whole thing about baptism in Romans chapter 6. It's, 
It's, it's, it's like saying, yes, I am in Jesus. I died with Him. I'm alive again with Him. I am dead to sin. We, we, it's like we're in that plane and Jesus goes down into death and yes, we're dead now. And then He goes up and, and He's alive again and we're alive now. The claim of sin and death over us has already been claimed. You cannot claim something twice. We are in Jesus. We share his nature. And one day soon, Jesus will return. Heaven and earth will be made new and we will be made new and we will be like him. And who we are by definition. Who we are in the spiritual realities will be who we are. Don't we need to hear that again and again and again and again and again and again? You see, what defines Christians isn't just a small plan for our short life. It's God's great plan. Which is, surprisingly, all about Jesus. The Father always planned for Jesus to be Lord and King over everything. And since we are in Christ, if we are united with him, which is what Paul says, the mystery of the gospel, that when we trust him, God, we do that because God chose us. And, and because God chose us, we are in him. We are united with him. That's, that's incredible. We share in his nature. Because of that, the plan of the God the Father for Jesus includes us. Which means we have an inheritance from God. Jesus inherits everything. We are his. And by the way, just to say, normally we get an inheritance if someone dies. God's not dying. Uh, I probably don't have to say this, but, but God's giving an inheritance just because. Just because he loves his son. And Jesus will lay it down before his father again. And it's true. Hebrews 2 verse 8 says, we don't yet see everything subjected to Jesus. But we trust that it will be. You know what? You know when a really good movie comes out, they put out teaser trailers? It's like trailers for a movie. They, kind of, they show the very best bits, best bits of the movie so that you can see. Did you want to say something? This is around you right now. God's teaser trailer for his great plan. I'm going to finish on this. He speaks there about Jews and Gentiles. First the Jews put their hope in Christ. And then the Gentiles put their hopes in Christ. And the two are united together. Paul speaks elsewhere of of the two becoming one nation, one people. People from every tribe and nation are brought together in Christ forming one people with Jesus as the head holding his church together in beautiful unity and what is God's plan God's plan is that everything will be united in Christ and right now as you look around you go wow I wouldn't be caught dead with these people and yet here I am and I love them for some strange reason it must be Jesus no that's not quite true you guys aren't that strange but we love each other We come together because Jesus brings people together. Because that is God's plan, to bring 
everything together under Jesus. And he gives us of his spirit. The spirit who applies every blessing into our lives. The spirit who is like a seal and a stamp. It's like a down payment on a house going, you know what? Taste and see how good God is and how good his plan is. Everyone who believes in Jesus is given the spirit right. In fact, the spirit is the one who opens our eyes to need Jesus. And the spirit whispers to us now who we really are. We're not guilty. You are not blameworthy. You are chosen in advance. You have been rescued. You've been adopted by God. You are in Jesus. You're part of his future. And the second half of Ephesians 4 is going to say to us, the spirit whispers, now be who you really are. Be who you really are. What defines us? For Christians, it's God. Humans were designed to worship and And we will worship something. We can worship our family. We can worship our status, our community, our work. N.T. Wright says we become like what we worship. Whatever we give ourselves to shapes us and defines us. And sometimes as Christians we allow other things to set the agenda for our lives. God's plan though is that we be shaped by him. If you've never trusted Jesus, or if you've found yourself, as I think everyone does, adding definitions from elsewhere, or even making other definitions more important, let's come now to God and say, God, you've done it all. Redefine me. God, redefine me, redefine us. Make us who we truly are. Help us know that it is not us, but you, who is most important. Help us know that in you we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Help us, Lord, to enjoy that life with you. Help us, Lord, to not keep trying to jump out of the plane if we, if we do. Thank you that you don't let us. Father, thank you that you did rescue us. Thank you that you never let us go. Thank you that you chose us before the world began, that you rescued us in time, and that one day we will sing to the praise of your glory. How great is our God.